Hi everybody, my name is Sandy. I'm alcoholic. To kind of get me where I need to be, can we just say a little prayer, like the serenity prayer? Would that be all right? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Thank you. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I cry. If it bothers you, you need to leave now because you've been warned. Um, you know, since I've been sober, I have gotten my emotions, and today it's okay to show them because I don't get hit like I used to for that. So that's a blessing. Um, hostess with the mostest, Miss Bernadette. <laughs> I called her yesterday. I said, okay, I'm getting on a plane at such and such time. Well, then I missed it. Now, it wasn't the airport's fault. I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in there just watching people go by, drinking coffee, and my watch is wrong. <laughs> so I go to the gate when the plane is taking off, and I can't get on it. So I go up there and I confess. Y'all have taught me how to do that. You know, it wasn't y'all's fault. You know, I just got a wrong watch. My watch is wrong. I missed my flight. So they said, okay. They started working on it. Well, Atlanta was shut down. Planes wasn't coming in. They wasn't going out. So I said, okay, just whatever you can do for me, I'm, I'm good, you know, because I screwed up. And they put me in first class. <laughs> <laughs> Confession pays off. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And about 1230, I finally got in last night. And it was just, you know, the weather was something else. It was just one of those things, you know. And it's, it's good to be here. I want to thank Mark for asking me to come up here and share with you guys. Um, Minnesota, Michigan, where am I going? <laughs> me and Wendell, that's my husband. We got the map down, you know, and we're going to work. Where are you going, you know, and we're looking. Because I've never been up here before. And, uh, and uh, y'all got a beautiful state. You know, the, the leaves are still changing colors, and in Idaho we don't have leaves. Well, we, we do in the north part of the state, but not where, I'm, where I am. There are scrub oaks and those things you see on um, the westerns, you know, the tumbleweeds that roll across. We got those. And they don't, have, they don't have leaves on them, so, you know, it's beautiful up here. I'm trying to get here. It, is, it has been an emotional um, trip for me, and may or may not get into that, but... Um, Cliff told me, save it for the end of your talk. <laughs> so I'm going to try to do that. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to come here. Well, I didn't even know where here was, you know. I, I come to one day in my trailer, and there's a, there's a knocking on the door, and it's cops. Well, where I, the neighborhood where I'm living at, that wasn't a big deal, you know, because they're usually looking for my neighbor next door. So I open the door, and I'm going to tell him where he lives, and they're after me. They shove me down in my little chair by the door and go through my house like you see on TV. And I thought TV was TV, but it's real. They made a mess, and they found what they were looking for. And they had me charged with a position with intent to distribute, and I couldn't tell them that all that stuff was mine because when you drink all night with the guys, you, I mean, you drink all night, then you need something to kind of keep you up so you can work, and then you need something to, so you can sleep after you've been up all day, after you've drank all night for the next day. Well, they had it with possession. And they found a little pistol that wasn't registered, and I couldn't tell them. Well, they had me charged with illegal possession of a firearm. And I told them, well, I tried to tell them, that's what I used to protect myself against hobos, you know. And I'd never seen a hobo until I come in AA. <coughs> so here I go to jail, you know. And, and they had a pink room painted specially for me. That's what the guy told me, and I believed him. But I couldn't figure out how he knew I was coming. You know, that thought about that a little bit. And, um, and here they start bringing in those trays, and those trays have my food on it, and I don't know how long I'm going to be there. Because this was back before getting busted was fashionable. And, I mean, you done prison time, long time, for, for the amount, the quantities that they had me with. And um, it wasn't my first time in jail. I've been the DUIs and all that kind of stuff many times. But, you know, this was a serious jail commitment, you know, and I wasn't looking forward to it. <laughs> and... Um, so I, I finally was able to call him. Well, I didn't call him because she might have been home, but I got the deputy to call him in case she was home to come get me out because I didn't have no money. I had a good job, and, but that's all I had, you know. My paychecks were always gone. And, um, and he finally come and got me out, and um, we went to the bar to see if I was missed, you know. Where else do you go and check in with your friends, right? You don't go home. I didn't have any at home. I mean, I went to the bar. And, uh, of course, surely they, they had heard about me. It had been a write-up in the paper. And then I couldn't go back to work because I was one of the first um, women that was hired out for the railroad in the east part of the country. And uh, they didn't take too kindly to participation in the things that I was participating in. And they said I couldn't come back to work. 
So here I am, I don't have no job, and I'm going to prison <laughs> in my mind. Well, you've got to celebrate if you're going to do that. And uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I, I started drinking with an abandon. abandon. And then I've got a friend of mine. We, this guy, we used to party together. Oh, my God, we had such a good time. And then he went off somewhere. We didn't ever know where he was going, didn't want to ask because we didn't want to be nosy. But he come back talking in half sentences. You know, we were talking about, come on, let's go have a drink or whatever. He's oh, not drinking one day at a time. We said, okay, we'll see you tomorrow, you know. <laughs> you know, and it, it would, there'd be a wreck on the, um, on the train and stuff like that, and he, he, he would talk about first things first, and we go, what are you talking about? And he said, you know, live and let live, and all this other kind of crap that didn't make any kind of sense at all to anybody but him. And he seemed to be just floating along with it. You know, so we just left him alone because we couldn't understand him. And here he is at my door. I'm going, oh, crap. I do not have time for him because he's not drinking and partying. He's one day in a time, whatever that is. And, and I just don't have time. I'm, I'm in serious trouble, and I don't have time for him. But I got beer in the refrigerator, and I done smoked me a big old doobie, and I'm good to go, right? So I opened up the door and let him in. <clears throat> and it, I don't, I don't, the only thing I heard come out of his mouth that day was, I know how you can keep your job. I said, sign me up. <laughs> he signed me up for treatment. <laughs> I'd never heard of OA, BACA, AADA, Ray Ray. I'd never heard of none of it, you know. And, and I'm signed up for go to treatment. <clears throat> Anything get my job back because that's who I was. That, was. that was, if you asked me my name, I didn't have my name. I had a title of a position on this stupid railroad. And um, so he signed me up for the treatment. And then the next day, I had two old guys knocking on my door, and I'd never seen these guys before. And they come up there and they started confessing. Now, I don't, know who, I don't know these guys, and they're telling me how they drank and how they hoard around and all this other kind of stuff. Like, I'm interested. I have not asked these questions, you know, and, but it's part of this gig about getting my job back, so I'm, I'm kind in the South, you know, we're nice. So I sit there and listen, you know, and, but they should have took that stuff to their grave. They should not have come and shared it with me, you know. And all part of this treatment thing, so... Lo and behold, he said, well, well, we'll get you this afternoon to carry me to treatment. I go, no, I can't go today. <laughs> i got to take care of business. <laughs> no, I don't. You know, today I see how funny that is because I've had some of those people, okay, let's go. No, I'll see you tomorrow, and you never see them. So I understand why they left shaking their head. <laughs> but um, sure enough, come Monday, I was sitting there. I mean, I'm, my pants are pressed. I'm going to make a good impression. I'm going to treatment. I didn't know you could go drunk. They didn't tell me that. I didn't, you know, so I'm sitting, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just sitting out there in my little backpack, my jeans pressed, and I'm ready to go to treatment. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the guys that come in and done the confession, he had an Al-Anon wife, so the AA and Al-Anon carried me to treatment. So here we go. We're all in the car, and they're giving me more information than I really want about this treatment thing, you know. And I'm getting scared because I'm really not in for this for the long-term thing. I'm, I want to get my job back, and then I'm, I'm good, you know. I'll... Because I, I, I could do anything for a period of time. I was married for a period of time. <laughs> you know, I could play like I was a sincere girlfriend for a period of time. You know, I mean, nothing was long-lasting. And they were talking about this commitment was long-lasting, and I just wasn't interested, not really. I wanted to get my job back, but i got to look sincere because <laughs> I don't want them to throw me out of the car because I want to get my job back. So here we go. And I'm getting down there, and I'm scared. Now, the AA man, he's connected with the railroad in, the, in our area, and he goes off and takes care of paperwork, and it's me and this Al-Anon lady, right? And she's got me by, she's a little, little bitty short lady, about like that lady that was up here, Mark's wife. You know, she's small. She, she's real small, and she's got me by the elbow, and she hit me about waist high, and she's got a firm grip. She ain't letting go of me. Today I know why. Because <laughs> you get close to that, and you want to make like a rabbit and run. <laughs> and... Um, and we go down this long hall, and it's probably, you know, as I'm able to see things today, I don't know how long the hall was, but it looked like it was a long hall, <laughs> you know. And here we go down this hall and got them big double doors in the back, and she takes me to the door and opens it and pushes me through it, right, and pulls the door too. That's not a big deal, except my side don't have no handles. Now, that's a big deal because I'm locked in now, you know. And, you know, as I, as I stand before you today, I don't know if that really happened or not, but... That's the way I remember it, and that is my life. I don't know if half my life really happened or not, but it says I'm able to see it today. <laughs> now, things have changed as I've been sober, but that part hadn't. So, um, 
you know, and I'm, the door's got a wind on it, and I'm up there, and I'm blowing snot and crying. I mean, these are real tears. I have cried those fake tears before, but this is real because I'm in trouble, and I'm scared, and I know if she leaves me, I'm done. <laughs> I know if she looks back, I got her, though, because, I mean, I'm looking pitiful. <laughs> you know that heifer went all the way up that hole and never did look back? Never did. I hated Al-Anon, you know. Got in this treatment center, and um, I'm, I'm getting my job back, right? And then this lady comes in, and, you know, she wants me to tell her really how much I've been doing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm looking at going to jail. I am not going to do a confession here. <laughs> you know, I don't know what can be held, you know, is legal. You know, I'm not, mm-mm. I'm saying just enough to where they <laughs> know that I belong here. And, uh, and this lady said to me, and she said, Sandy, she said, you know, you don't ever have to feel the way you feel inside ever again unless you choose to. Now, she left me with that. Now, I'm sure she said other stuff, but that one thing just stuck with me. And you know, all my life, I have felt like crap inside. I come out of the chute six foot tall, seems like, because all my life I was hollering over everybody else. You know, and when you're, when you're 50 and six foot, you know, you're looking pretty good. When you're seven and eight and you're six foot, you look like a dork, you know? <laughs> all the girls that's getting the attentions hitting you about your waist, you know, and they got weight where I can only dream weight would appear, you know. And the first thing you see me coming is my feet. They look like boats. <laughs> I try to bend over and be like those girls. I tried to um, put Tisha up top and have it stay where I look like a girl. You know, my problem was it'd fall out going down the hall and then they'd really laugh at you. You know, I hated it. I, I just hated it. I, you know, and I got a brother that's perfect. I am the, I am, I got an older brother, then me, and then two more brothers, right? The older brother was like God in the house. I mean, he was like the father figure in our house. My mother raised us by herself, working in a cotton mill down in the south. And then I got the little perfect brother that I tried to kill under the house. I beat him in the head with rocks. I tried to kill him, you know? And we fought like cats and dogs. I hated him, you know, because he was perfect. He, he loved school. He loved cooking. He would, he would iron his clothes before he went to school. I mean, I wanted to shoot him, you know, because he made my life hell. Because Mama always wanted me to be like him. And then I got the little baby brother that I always fought and protected. And that's, that's my family. So here I am in this treatment center, and I'm remembering hating him and wanting to kill him. And I remember one night, and I don't even know how old I was. I want to say I was seven or eight. I'm looking at the full moon, wishing I was anywhere else except where I was. And this is before I ever had a drink of alcohol. I always thought I was crazy. Mama had taken me to the doctor to get them nerve pills because I was such a nervous child. You know, I mean, and that's just what we did. And I uh, had my first drink of alcohol, and I'm going to tell you, whew, it done the magic for me. It put 20 pounds on me instantly, 10 of it here and 10 of it here. <laughs> it made my tongue lay down where I could talk to them boys and not be a boy, you know. I mean, like a girl. You know, and blink in my eyes and all that kind of stuff that I've seen girls do. I didn't have that experience because, I mean, I'm, I'm hanging with big packs of boys. You can't chase me nowhere with a bug. You know, I can, I can, clean, I can do my own fishing. I can clean it and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to scare me with that. And I can make a Coca-Cola dance with a, with a pistol. And uh, so, I mean, uh, putting on makeup and high heels and all that foo-foo girl stuff, I need a lot of help. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's just the way I was. And I always thought that that girl side of my brain just never, never was. <laughs> you know, I just thought that, because y'all always knew how to do that stuff I didn't know how to do. But, um, so in this treatment center, I'm remembering all this, you know, and she said, all you got to do is do what we do. So that day I made a commitment that I'd start doing what you did, just to see if it worked, because I didn't believe it would work. Because I come from the South, and I've been preached over, and I've been, I've been dunked in the river, and I've been dribbled on, and all that kind of stuff, and all that trying to heal me, you know, and it just never did take or work or any of that. Because I'd, be, I'd go out the door and be wanting to hunt the preacher, you know, and that's just not, that's just not the spiritual part of that program. <laughs> so I didn't know what was wrong with me, you know. And um, I have a spare. And that's about as good as I can clean that one up. My sponsor's always after me to clean this stuff up, and I'm trying. So, um, so I started doing what they asked me to do in that treatment center. You know, I'd, I'd done an inventory, you know, the first one. And I found out that the reason I was, that I hated my old, that brother so much is because I was jealous of him. 
Because he, he, he was okay in his self doing life on life's terms. And I never was. And I lived with a man. Well, when I was 15, Mama kicked me out. She says that that, that wasn't the way it was. But in my, the way I'm able to see it today, she kicked me out because I couldn't drink in her house. And I moved in with this fella. And uh, I'm 15. <laughs> they do, I mean, they put you in prison for that crap today. But back then, it, I mean, it was the way it, way it was. And um, so I move into this with this guy, and I can drink all I want to. I just can't do none of that other stuff. Well, when he went over the, every other weekend to see his wife, I would do that other stuff. <laughs> and, um, and when I would get to drinking, I'm like, we were talking about chihuahuas. I'm like a little chihuahua dog. I get behind you, and I'm nim, 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 and I won't go away, and I won't shut up. And I am not big at all. And the only way to make me shut up is just not the crap out of me, Okay. And I would, we would get to drinking, and then I'd get like that little dog nipping at them heels, and he'd tell me, shut up, and I'd just bark louder, and, and I'd come to the next morning and find out I'd lost that fight. <coughs> I'd be bit up, banged up, and bruised, and, you know, and we did that one day at a time. <laughs> I didn't know no other way. I didn't know no other way. And I understand the, um, the fear and the isolation of abus- abusive relationships, because I've been there and done that. I didn't know that's what that was at that time, but, um, but I understand that today. And, um, and, and me and this guy, we just, we just did that. But I found out through that inventory that if I'd have probably shut my mouth once in a while, I probably wouldn't got hit so much. Now, I didn't say I wouldn't get hit at all. I said not so much because he built a bar so I'd have a place to work. <laughs> and I get to drinking. I get friendly. I enjoy being around people and dancing and partying and all that. And uh, sometimes I got a little too friendly. And, uh, a lot of people didn't appreciate that, but uh, anyway, but that's the reason, you know, I thought it was just because I was living with this mean old man. I didn't know that I played a part in that. I played a part in staying. I played a part in, you know, I'd get a good bruise, and boy, I could drink on that for two weeks, you know. Just enough makeup not to cover it up so that it asked, and then you get to crying and wash it off, and then you really got a story. You know, and I played it. I mean, I played it to the hilt. That's my part in that. And I found out in that inventory, too, that um, the reason I'm alcoholic has absolutely nothing to do with what my dad did or didn't do. It had absolutely nothing to do with where I lived, social status. It had absolutely nothing to do with any of that. Because I knew if my dad was there, or the man, yeah, my dad was there, I would have been all right, you know. I just knew that. Or if I got the right man, I would be all right. If I could just get these outside situations okay, I would be all right. But you know what? That was not the case. And that's what I found out there. Um, got ready to, to leave that treatment center, and they said, oh, you're not quite ready to go home yet. We want to put you in this halfway house. I said, sign me up. I'm getting, wanting this job back, right? There was only one problem with the halfway house they wanted to put me in. It had all women in there. Now, I don't know what you do with all women. I know what you do with all men, but I don't have a clue about women. And they want me to hang out with these women. So, sign me up. Well, and they got rules in this place. They want you to travel in groups, and I, you know, I mean, I can do that. But they want you to wear all your clothes. I didn't even own the clothes they wanted me to wear. You know, at this phase of my development, they were a lot of trouble. I mean, they get hung up under the seat, and you wind up ripping them, and if you could even remember where you put them, you know. And they wanted me to start wearing this, and I'm, you know, now we're in a dilemma. <laughs> I hadn't had any of that stuff in a long time. And, um... Today I know it always happens that when I don't know what to do, if I come to you and say, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I I need your help. You always help me. And you usually don't laugh. You know, you've never laughed at me to my face. I mean, now I say that, but some of the stuff my my girls come up with, (laughs) my God, the hardest thing I do in a day is keep a straight face while I'm hearing their good idea. And then when they leave, I about pee my pants, (laughs) you know, because it's ridiculous. So here I am confessing to these women that, you know, that when I'm up here in front of you or when I'm anywhere and I think I got my stuff together, I want to remember when I come to you that I had no idea what size panties I wore. You know, these women shoved me in a dressing room and they paraded panties across that store and I found out what size underwear I wore. You know, and that's what y'all do for me. When I get rid of that pride and that ego and say, you know what, I can't do this myself. I need your help. Will you help me? You always do. Always. That is the magic of this program. You know, we help each other by helping each other, you know. Damn it. You know, it don't make no sense. You know, I always help me by helping myself. It's not the way this works. You know, I do. So now I'm fully clothed and in my 
or getting to my right mind in this halfway house with all these women. And I found out that the reason I didn't like those women is because I thought they were doing what I was doing. And if they were doing what I was doing, they wasn't to be trusted for sure. And that's the reason I didn't like women. Now, another thing about that is some of my mother's ideas I picked up. She had been married like four, four times, you know, four kids, you know, and it seemed like, don't trust them women. Them women, you know, because it was always another woman that took her man, you know. And I come up with some of her ideas and made those my own. And I didn't know that's what I was doing until I come here, got with you guys. Y'all helped me sort all that mess out. So I'm in the halfway house, and I'm, and I'm getting ready to go home now. I'm scared. Now, I have, I've forgiven this Al-Anon woman because that's one of the things you have me do. And um, I've asked her to be my sponsor because where I got sober, you could put in this facility where we are. There wasn't a meeting every hour on the hour. There wasn't women helping women and men helping men. I mean, if there was a woman stayed sober there, everybody, you know, sponsored her because, I mean, that's just the way it was. Um, I had been sober 22 years. So this was back in 1983, and there just wasn't a lot of women in the area where I was staying sober. And, um, and this, um, I asked this Al-Anon lady if she would sponsor me because women's got to work with women, you know. And her and her husband double-teamed me, and I'm forever grateful for that because they taught me a lot, you know. And um, I got ready to come home, and they, they come in, they got me, and they took me home, and we got to go into meetings. And this is back when there wasn't a meeting every hour on the hour. You had to get in the car and actually go somewhere to go to a meeting. And, we, and the, who, I was talking not too long ago, and somebody said it was those blacktop meetings. That's what they were, because you'd get in the car, and you'd drive 30 miles there, and then you'd have the meeting going, then you'd have the meeting there, and then you'd have the meeting coming back home. And that's where your eye always asked him silly questions that I couldn't ask in the car, because I didn't want him to know I didn't know, you know. And that's what we did. <clears throat> and whoever had the biggest car, that's who drove. I mean, we'd all pitch in on gas, but that way we'd pack all them drunks in, you know, and we just had a good time doing that. When I got out of this treatment center, I'm an alcoholic and an addict, Okay. And I go to the meeting, and, I, and that's what I was taught to do. And I go to the meeting, and I say that. I got this old gray-headed fart in the back of the room screaming about hemorrhoids. I'm going, what does that got to do with anything? He said, that's right. I mean, he'd scream at me. You know, and it wouldn't matter whether it was a birthday night on a Thursday, where there was like 12, 15 people there, big crowd. He didn't care. He'd still scream about them stupid hemorrhoids. You know, I mean, he'd done that like every time I shared. He'd scream about hemorrhoids. And I'm going, my God, you know, I've been warned about him. He's one of them old farts, been here forever. Just, you know, you had to pray for him because he'd piss you off so much you'd want to kill him. So you've got to pray for him instead of killing him. You know, I mean, I'm sober now. I'm taking spiritual actions. I'm not picking up a gun, you know. And that old coot taught me about traditions because he taught me about principles before personalities because I'd pray for him every day. I'd pray he'd have a wreck and die on the way to a meeting because he was always picking at me. Finally, 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 I asked somebody, why does he pick on me like that? Sandy, come here and let me tell you. If you say you're an alcoholic and anything else, you're saying you're different than us. And if you're different from us, what we're doing may not work for you. Why don't you get Bill's story and see if you can identify with how he felt? Not about how much he drank, not about his job, not any of that how he felt. You know, identify. Well, I did that, and of course, I could identify. I mean, I was, I was too chicken to kill myself. When I got that job, I knew I had arrived, and, you know, my whole life is going to be different. And I remember letting friends go because they would say something about my drinking and my using. It wouldn't have nothing to do with them anymore because of that. So I could identify with a lot of that. Stealing, I could identify with that. Um, so, I mean, I really, and, and in there, in that book, it's hidden. It talks about restless, irritable, and discontented. And I was that way most of my life, you know. And it, I always thought it was about the amount you drank. That has absolutely nothing to do with it. Today I know that it's what drinking did for me. You know, I was restless, irritable, and discontented, and I'd take a drink and I would be all right. I had a new plan, I had a new idea, and I'm going to be okay. That's what drinking did for me. It changed my perception. And I'm grateful because I would have killed myself a long time ago with the perception I had because it was, it was bad. Well, I, I don't know that I would have, but I, I thought a lot about suicide. I was just too chicken. And um, so I go in the meeting where I'm waiting on this old coot now. My name's Sandy, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'll listen. I have the power to cure hemorrhoids. He wasn't screaming about his hemorrhoids no more. I, it didn't make sense to me. I just didn't understand this guy. This guy brought a new thing to, to our meeting. It was a big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, we would just go to watch the fights. <laughs> we were just going to wait and see who's going to kill him. Because, I mean, 
we were, I remember one night I was in a meeting and this guy was talking about, I'm fighting it every day. And then he popped up about, you got to surrender. And I'm, I'm telling you, I really thought he was going to get hit. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, straight out of the big book, but it was new to our area. And there was, there was um, a committee formed to run his ass out of the meetings. <laughs> but it didn't happen because of the traditions. <laughs> but anyway, this guy brought that big book in and, and somebody in the car, you know, we were all on fire about the big book and we were doing the steps like they were written. And I mean, my life was changing. And for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about me. Well, the driver of the car won't ask me out on a date. Now, this is an AA date, okay? And it, if there's newcomers in here, let me explain an AA date to you. I didn't know what they were. The guy comes to your house and picks you up, carries you to dinner either before or after the meeting, goes to the meetings, brings you home, and then he leaves. I didn't see the point of an AA date. <laughs> I didn't see the point. You know, you're, you're, you're there, and, and at the end of it, you don't know where the kiss or, you know, close with the serenity prayer, you know? You... <laughs> but anyway, this was back when, you know, we would do those meetings, and then, we, you know, we'd get home about, and this is when they were 8.30, to, and you'd get home at 10 o'clock, and then you'd put on a cup of coffee, and you'd stay up all night talking about God till 3 o'clock in the morning, and then you'd go to work the next day, and you'd get up and do it all over again. I mean, and you were just, I mean, I... We were just floating. I mean, we were so spiritual. <laughs> that same old guy, don't get so damn good for the Thursday night meeting, okay? <laughs> you know, and, but I mean, we were loving AA, you know, and we would make a telephone call, oh my God, got a drunk, there'd be a band of us coming get you. It wouldn't be one. <laughs> I mean, you would be tackled. <laughs> kind of like some of those cop shows I see. You know, we didn't care who you were. We didn't care where you were. We'd come get you. We didn't care. And uh, <laughs> we didn't even care if you wanted to get sober or not. <laughs> Minor detail. <laughs> but, I mean, we were just on fire for the program. And I uh, got to going with this, got to riding with this guy. And then we had the AA date. And, you know, and, and I'm not understanding a whole lot of it because he ain't grabbing nothing. <laughs> Okay, now I'm cleaned up, I'm sober, I'm thinking I'm all that, right? And he ain't grabbing nothing that ain't his, he's not being inappropriate in any way. So me and this Alanon, I'm in the garden and while I'm slinging taters, I'm pissed. Because I don't get it. I don't understand how come he don't want to, you know, spend the night and let's lie about it or whatever, you know, because that's what we would have had to have done with sponsors, you know. They're, <laughs> they're messes. Anyway... I didn't understand what was going on. So I'm slinging potatoes in this al and I'm asking her, you know, what's wrong with me? Ain't I, you know, I'm cleaned up. I'm thinking I'm all that. And he ain't tried to be out of the way with me. And she said, Sandy, he may respect you. Respect? Well, that's when they go with you one night and they come back the next day. That's respect, you know. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I bet you she about pissed her pants <laughs> with that little deal, you know. She kept a straight face the whole time. I don't know how she did it. But that al taught me about respect. You know, I didn't know what was going on because, you see, for the longest time, all I was was rolling the hay in my eyes. That's all I was to anybody, you know, and some of that was the reason I didn't mess with women, you know. I didn't know that there was more to me than that. And this, this, this guy was trying to show it to me. This al was trying to explain it to me. I still didn't get it, you know. But um, he, put a, he put a ring on my hand. And he asked me to marry him. He thought I'd just been died and gone to heaven. Because when I was out there, and they, drinking and doing all that dope and all that kind of stuff, I knew I wasn't the marrying kind. But I come in here, and I got sober, and I started acting different like you tell me to do. And this man's wanting to, wanting to marry me. You know, and I didn't understand it, because I always heard you got to, how's that go? You got to take a glass of milk before you buy the cow or something like that? Well, there wasn't any milk tasting going on. <laughs> and I didn't get it. And uh, so, so, we, so we got married. Now, I want to I I tell you about my, that wedding, that wedding. There's been a couple since, but <laughs> I'm practicing these principles in all my affairs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I wish that was not the truth. <laughs> um, but, you know, we... When I got sober, um, my oldest brother 
had disowned me. He, he found me on the streets of New Orleans prostituting myself, and he disowned me right now. And, you know, at, at family reunions, you'd drink enough to get there and hope you didn't overshoot it so you could tell him just to, you know, go F off or whatever, you know. And, and well, that's what I did anyway because it was so hard for me to go to those places. And, um, and um, you know, I found out that I really had hurt him with that. I was an embarrassment to him. I had the job that he wanted. I was his little sister, and he wanted absolutely the best for me, not the worst that I wanted for myself. And, um, and I had to make amends for that, some of that inventory. And I went and made amends to him, and I said, you know what, I put you in God's spot in my life, and, you know, that's unfair to you and definitely not fair to me, and, um, and I just don't want to do that anymore. I love you. I love you because you're my oldest brother, and I, you know, I, he just has my heart. You know, he's my favorite. And, um, and I'm just not going to do what, the things I used to do for that love and affection anymore, and, uh, and I walked away from there free of all that guilt and all that shame and all that remorse and all that crap that I drank so long over. And, um, and I, because of that amend, he walked me down the aisle and gave me away at that wedding. Now that is Alcoholics Anonymous in action. That, that's AA. You know, when you take that kind of situation and flip it around to that. The Al-Anon people in the area, they done our wedding. You know, we didn't have no money. I still hadn't got this taken care of. I'm still looking at going to prison and you know, I'm at a point in my sobriety where if I go to prison, that's where God wants me to be. You know, and, I, and that was, y'all had taught me about accepting responsibility for my own actions. And that was standing before that judge, that's, that's responsibility. And, um, and we got married. And, uh, you know, we stayed married about five years and we walked off in the sunset and burned up. You know, that's what happened. Um, first year we were married, I got to go before the judge and, you know, the lawyer wants me to wear a dress and I don't own one of them things because, I mean, I mean, down south everybody's got some, a, a dress, but it's usually in the back of the closet and that's what you bury people in, right? Well, I had a skirt. I had a skirt. didn't have no tags in it, none of that stuff. So I don't know what you do with a zipper. I mean, a skirt and a zipper is a confusing thing to me. So I call my Al-Anon lady because she's missed, I mean, she knows about all that stuff. And she's not home. So I get to talk to her husband. He said, oh, hell, Sandy, put it in the front. You know, like we do. And just, <laughs> I put that zipper in the front, <laughs> that skirt, here I go to court. And um, after a bunch of, <laughs> I can imagine what I look like in front of that judge. I mean, because I'm a size 14 now. Back then I was doing a lot of stuff to keep me awake. And I, I was on a crash diet, and I was about a size 7. So I'm, I was half the size of what I am now. And I got this skirt flipped around in the front. Who knows where that zipper went? <laughs> and I'm, I'm up there in front of that judge, and I'm shaking like a, like a dog, and I goes, I'm scared. I'm, I am willing to go to jail. I'm not liking going to jail, right? And I'm sitting up there, and, and, um, and he gives me first offender's probation. And I don't understand everything that's going on. It's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, big words. I don't understand. All I know is I walk out of that jail, and I don't have to go, you know. And I, and I knew that there was a God working in my life. Because I, I was really willing to do God's will, whatever it was. I did not ever expect that I would walk away from there free of that. And, you know, and first offender's probation is, you know, you don't screw up no more. You don't get any tickets. You don't have to do any prison time. And that's what, what I did. And, uh, and we, we were married like five years. And we were Mr. and Ms. AA. We were. I mean, we had gotten done the steps. I mean, we were 12-stepping anybody that even talked to us about drinking. And, you know, the coffee pot was always on. And, you know, I, I, I didn't go to prison. The railroad offered a payoff. I took that payoff. I went back to school. You know, so, I'm, so I'm, we're doing the deal and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and I'm not honest. I'm not honest and way down deep. You know, I, my God's not like his, and I want to go to a lot of meetings. He don't, and, you know, I think I'm doing it wrong. So I go to a conference, and I sleep with this guy, and, uh, and it, gets, it gets bad from that. Um, I, I come back and say I want a divorce, and, you know, I'm about five years sober, and I'm in the middle of AA, and I'm the whore in the meetings. You know, that's not a good place to be. That is... Um, where do you go now? I mean, you can't go to AA because everybody's sitting in judgment of you. And I'm not saying what I did was right at all. I know that I wasn't honest, and I know that I'd done a lot of things wrong in that. But um, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a place to go, so I started hanging out in another fellowship, in Narcotics Anonymous. And I'm grateful they didn't know who I was. They just knew I was somebody that was in recovery and didn't want to do, you know, do anything goofy about all that. Now, 
at this phase of my development, I'm, I'm divorcing and this guy I've slept with, you know, we're, we're making decisions and, and it, again, sponsor relationship, sponsor is out of here, right? And this old guy, he, the guy that I healed was my sponsor. And, uh, because he, it, it, just, it just was. The Al-Anon lady died and um, this man was my sponsor and, uh, and he told me quick the truth. And I'm going to tell you, I hated him for it. I, if you give me five minutes, I'd, I'd tell you what an SOB he was and how bad he had done me and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting on the bed five years sober after all the dust settles behind this little action I took. And I'm, you know, drinking's not an option, but eating a gun certainly is. And I'm five years sober and that's what I want to do. And the only thing I can think of guy. And I call this guy, I don't, know, I don't even know that he'll take my call because I've been such a bitch to him, you know. And I've treated him so bad. And he said, honey, come on over. You know, and he didn't say, you know, you can't come to my house because you said this about me. And he didn't say that because he knew he could hear it in my voice. You know, and that's what I love about you. When I let you get to know me, you can hear it in my voice. And all I have to do is say hello. You know, and that you know. And, uh, and I went to his house that day and he opened up his arms and I just let him. You know, and he, he was doing some taping around the southeast. And I, I went to conferences and I heard speakers say that they had got divorced in, in NAA and they had had affairs in NAA and nobody killed each other and they didn't have to get drunk over it. And I guarantee you that's who I talked to after that meeting was over. There was one guy from California, he was sitting in the meeting, had five ex-wives in that meeting with him. I guarantee you I wanted to talk to him and they wasn't none of them fighting. I didn't get it. <coughs> so I went straight to talk to him about that. And it's about putting principles before personalities is what it is. And me not taking his inventory out loud where you can hear it. This old guy told me that I could, I could talk to two people about, about this ex-husband, and one of them was him. He said, you're going to quit throwing this crap everywhere. That's not recovery. And I stopped it. We're at a district meeting because at that time I'm involved in service, and I'm, I've done a lot of service work. I mean, anything in AA you ask me to do, I'll do. That's the way I was raised. That's the way it is today. And... Um, so we're at a district meeting, and in he comes. Now, this is the first time we've been live and in person in the same room, okay, since all this stuff. And there was a hush fell over that district meeting. <laughs> you would have thought they just spent all the money or something because everything just, I mean, and they were watching me, and they didn't know what we were going to do. And, um, and I got up, and I went across the room, and I stuck my hand out to that guy, and I said, I'm glad you're I did not say I was glad to see him there. I wished that he would just go anywhere else except the meetings I was. But I was glad he was there because he's an alcoholic and his life depends on being able to come to these meetings. You know, and I, God forbid it be on my head, me be the one to keep him out. You know, and after, you know, the meeting started up and, and I walked away from there that day free of that. You know, because I'd done an inventory, I've, I've found my part, I wasn't honest in the relationship. I knew going down the aisle we wouldn't get married. I knew in my gut, way down deep where I lived, I knew that. But I wasn't going to tell you that truth because I thought God would change it. <laughs> so anyway, so we're going around and we're taping everywhere and, and I'm doing pretty good. And I, and, I, and I try to sponsor people like this guy sponsored me. And that's rough and gruff. And, you know, if you didn't want the big book, I'd beat you over the head with it, you know. And that's an attraction, right? <clears throat> no. <coughs> I'm trying to be a little him and I'm not trying to find me in all of that. And I know it's time for me to do something different. So I started asking women to sponsor me, and they won't. Well, I mean, I'm a little handful, you know. My reputation precedes me. You know, I know all that. But um, there, there wasn't any women that was for me. And um, I get a tape in the mail, and this lady says her first and last name from the podium on a tape. And, she, and I know she said a lot of other things that day, but um, Debbie said that she was at a place in her sobriety where she knew she had to get in AA or get out. And I knew I was there, you know, and I didn't know what to do about it. So it took us a couple of days to get caught up because I'm living in Georgia at this time, and she's out in California. And um, I get caught up with her, and I, I asked her if she would sponsor me, and she said, well, honey, I'd be delighted to, but let's, let's have a little conversation here. How many meetings a week are you going to? I'm going to one. I got one meeting a week where that ex-husband is not showing up. I got one meeting a week that I can go to where all those people that judge me don't go. <laughs> so I can't go to them other meetings, right? She said, well, that'll change. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't think so. You know, my head's running. And she said, um, <clears throat> she said uh, we'll go through the big book, you know, 
And I, my whole sobriety, I've been in a big book meeting, and my mind's going, well, I, you know, I'm a big book guru. What do you mean go through the big book? I know that big book. But out loud to her, I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> she said, you're going to wear a dress to your home group meeting? And I said in my head, a dress? Why in the world would you want to wear a dress to an AA meeting? You've got to be comfortable. <laughs> out loud to her, I go, yes, ma'am. She says, we're going to set up a call time convenient to her. If I'm asking you to be my sponsor, I can call you anytime I want to, 24-7. What do you mean convenient to you? <laughs> Out loud to her, I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and we started doing that one day at a time. She asked me to, she, she agreed to sponsor me. You know, and this is a visual. I got on a dress. Now, and people ask you, you know, where, when you go to the meeting, you've got to dress somewhere in the area where I come from. They want to know who died and when, you're, when are you going to the funeral home? Because, I mean, you're, you're in a dress. <laughs> it gets better. I've got to get a commitment at a meeting. Well, back where I'm from, the chairman does everything, right? So I'm in a dress, and I'm scrubbing a toilet. Okay? Doors wide open, and people are gathered around like they're looking at a fight, you know? Get a sponsor! <laughs> Look what they do to you, you know? And that's the, kind of, that's the kind of support sponsorship had in my area. And I'm doing it one day at a time. And that's as clean as that toilet's ever been. Because I was pissed off and I can't hit nobody no more because I'm trying to practice principles and all this other kind of crap that she's teaching me to try to do. Trying to watch my mouth in meetings so I can be attraction to the newcomer. You know, all that other kind of stuff. And, um, I mean, sometimes only one word will do. <laughs> and as long as it's not on the microphone, it's good. <laughs> But, um, and I start doing that, you know, and, and slowly but surely I start changing. This lady softened me up. She made me more ladylike. Now, I don't know how she did that. Something about, when I wear a dress, I carry myself a lot different than I do when I'm in sweatpants. And, you know, I sit different. I'm, I'm, I'm straighter. I'm taller. Something, I don't know. It just works magic for me. And, um, and, you know, at this time, I tried to kill people with that big book, trying to, me, be their sponsor. And, and I had this one sick, sick, sick woman come into the group. And she beelined straight from me. I went, oh, okay. Uh, and she asked me to sponsor her, you know, and I started doing that. And this lady started getting better. You know, it was, it was the California way. You know, we don't take anything that affects you from the neck up. And, you, you know, if you say you're going to do something in AA, by God, you do it, or you die headed that way, you know. I mean, it's that kind of, it's commitment. It's about keeping your word. It's about learning how to, to be responsible for what you say. I didn't know, Bob. And this lady started getting better. You know, she was on all kind of medicines when she come in, and, you know, and slowly but surely, doing AA, talking to doctors, all that kind of stuff, she come off all that medicine. And some of these women in this group thought I had something to do with that. Now, me and you know that it ain't me. i got to tell this story. Um, <clears throat> hope it don't offend anybody. <clears throat> Jesus is going through Nazarene, right, preaching. And they, people just line up the streets for him, right? And, I mean, they got flowers out and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes he walks and a lot of times he's on a donkey, right? Well, the donkey's got flowers in his ear and he's swishing his tail and he's just, he thinks they're lining up from him, you know? And he's just ass carrying the message. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I'm just that donkey, you know? And, um, but they think it's got something to do with me. So I go from not sponsoring anybody to sponsoring like ten people. Well, my sponsors sponsors like 35 people, you know, and she is just an amazing manager of time and effort and all this kind of stuff. So we start going through that. And, I, and we got this little clan of girls that are just really wanting to be different. They're not wanting to be the way they always were. And I'm going to tell you, we had so much fun. We'd get in the car and we would go everywhere. You know, we had big book workshops at the house. I mean, oh, it was, it was amazing to me. You know, and I did not know that you could love a woman that much. You know, I really didn't. You know, to see these women come in so sick and so twisted and see them, you know, start back to college, for God's sakes. You know, this one lady come in so sick, she found out she was a genius in the nut ward. <laughs> she went back to college, you know, and that's what, that's what we do here. That's what we do here. We come here and we start doing the deal and, we, and, and the sky's the limit. About this time... I'm realizing that if I, I don't have any kids, right, and down south, if you don't have any kids, something's wrong with you, so I had to find me a man that had a couple, and I did, and we got married, and uh, needless to say, that was not my problem. <laughs> that marriage didn't last very long, but I tell you, there's a couple of things that's important to me about that one. 
Number one, see, I'm, I'm like Tarzan going through the, through the trees. I'm not going to let go of one vine unless i got a firm grip on another one, right? Well, this time I didn't have a firm grip on another vine. I left that marriage free and clear. I didn't leave that marriage waiting for somebody else on the other side. I did it with dignity and grace. I wasn't taking anybody's inventory. And when that oldest boy graduated, I was on the field. His, his dad and his, her, his new wife was on the field. His mother and her girlfriend were on the field and all the grandparents. And nobody was fighting. You know, and to me that is a demonstration of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, because of what y'all have taught me here. Principles. Because he would want to talk bad about her in front of those kids, and I'd stop him cold. I said, you know what? When me and you by ourselves, you can do that. But if you're talking bad about her in front of those kids, you're making those kids guilty that they love their mother. And that shouldn't have to be a choice. But I learned that from you. I didn't have that knowledge. You know, that's what y'all tell me. That if I'm talking bad about somebody else, I'm in to somebody else, I'm making, I'm, whether I know it or not, I'm making them make a decision on which side they're going to take. And I don't want to do that. So, um... Coming out of that divorce, okay, and um, I'm at a gas station getting gas, and this lady says, I know this guy you need to meet, and I'm going back up, Jack. <laughs> One thing I know about me, I am not marriage material. Something about the wedding cake just gets me all screwed up. You know, I don't want no part of it. And, uh, <clears throat> and she said, but Sandy, he needs you. Oh, okay, tell him to call me. You know, so he called me. But I didn't give him, I didn't give her my phone number. I didn't know he was a telephone man. So he called me that night and, you know, and I put on a pot of coffee and I'm saying to myself, he, anything wrong with this guy? I am lying like a dog and I am out of here. I mean, I am not messing around. And, you know, he was nice looking, smart, all that kind of stuff. So we sit down and it was like 8.30 when he got there that night and it was like 11.30 when he left. And, you know, time just flew. You know, and, and I've been married to me and I couldn't sit across the table and talk to I don't know if y'all had that experience or not, but sometimes you got to get out of that bed. <laughs> One thing about being honest, if it's out, you just can't go get it. I mean, you know, it's just out. So anyway, we're talking, <laughs> we're talking, and I like him. I mean, he's smart and all this kind of stuff, and, you know, and, um, and, and we start dating. And we, we're dating. And AA's number one with me, and that, that is, that's not non-negotiable. It's, it's just part of it's breath for me. And I tell him that he's never been to AA and all that kind of stuff. And the divorce isn't quite final yet. And um, so I'll go, I'm telling him I'm going to meet, and lo and behold, he'll be back there sitting in a corner somewhere. Oh, you know, and we kind of wind up sitting together and all this kind of stuff. And it uh, be cool. And I realized I was falling in love with him. Oh, and I, I knew that I knew way down deep where I lived that if I didn't do something about me, that there's going to be another stroll of dead bodies, and I didn't want that. So I told him, I said, you know, I love you, but I need some time to work on me, and that's what I'm going to do. And I done an inventory on relationships like I before. And I didn't find out anything fantastic or drastic, but it was to me. I found out that in, in relationships with the men, I am a kicking, screaming two-year-old. I want everything my way. I want it now and I don't want to share. And you know what? You can't have a relationship like that. You know, and, and that's what I found out. And, I, and um, we hadn't seen each... I mean, we're living like two, two, two doors apart, two houses apart, and I hadn't seen him in all this time. And um, I woke up that morning, and I knew that I knew, and he called me. They need to talk. I said, yes, we do. You know, and um, last July, we celebrated 14 years of marriage. You know, and that's what y'all do for me. When he asked me to marry him, I said, you know what, I'll marry you one day at a time. He said, what? Because he's kind of, I mean, he was a deacon in a church, you know. He don't understand one day at a time and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, he's committed to marriage and all that kind of stuff, and he just didn't quite get it. I said, you know what, I can be married to you one day at a time. No matter what happens, no matter how I feel about it, one day at a time. And, you know, so, so he did. So we got married. And, uh, um... About this time, he loses his job. Now, I'm real spiritual as long as the money's coming in. <laughs> he, had a, he, had a, he had a good job and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and I'm floating around. I'm Miss AA. I'm driving the bus with all of my little sponsees in them. We're going to meetings, newcomers. I don't care. You know, we're just going and doing. And he loses his job. And all the toys start leaving because I can't pay for them, right? 
Well, I come to these meetings and find out that you don't have to get drunk over that. I come to these meetings and find out that if I confess to you, need a ride to the meeting, don't have any money. <laughs> can, I, can I go? Will you come pick me up? Do you know how hard that is for me? It's easy when I'm new. But I mean, my gosh, I'm Miss A8, right? I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be the one doing the giving. But my sponsor told me there's a lesson in and that's the lesson that taught me. She helped me line up my clothes in my closet where it looked like I had a new outfit every day. You know, because I didn't have the money to buy. You know, it let me, it let some of these people that I, some of these girls that I'd sponsored be, be, help me. You know, I didn't know that, well, I know what, what a thrill I get out of me helping you, but I didn't understand that they got that same thrill too. You know, but I had to start asking. And one more time, letting you know about the real me. And, you know, you'd come up and I'd, instead of lying about why the toy's not there, I told you the truth. Can't pay for it, the bank come got it. But we are making the payments on what the, what's left. You know, we are doing that. And, and that's what y'all taught me to do. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to do anything except go up there and be honest with these people. This is what I can do, this is what I can't do. And, uh, and you know, I, I've... I really hate to tell you that, that money come before God, but it really did at that phase of my development, and that's what I've become very aware of, you know, and by, and today I hope that's different, you know, I truly do, but, um, you know, I know that that's not my source, and um, I didn't have that knowledge before. So as a result of Wendell losing his job, um, he can't find a job, so we put his resume on monster.com, <coughs> and um, he got picked up with a, a Quest Communication in Idaho. Iowa, Idaho, we had to get the map out. <laughs> I didn't graduate high school, you know, just didn't do it. I, my geography sucks, you know, so we get the map. And they accept him out there. Now, I'm 15 years sober at this time, and um, I heard tales, all the war stories about people with time, getting sober, moving, and then, you know, getting drunk because they're not doing it right there. So Wendell went out there like three months before me, so I, I had to stay home and sell the house and all that kind of stuff. You know, before I left Georgia, they had, a, they had a going away party for me. You know, and a lot of people that I thought hated me showed up there, and they said nice things. You know, because I'm, I'm going to tell you, if, if you're honest in this program, you're not going to have, I mean, you're going to piss people off. And I, you know, if it comes to... <coughs> being honest, and you getting drunk, I'm going to be honest with you. <coughs> and you're not going to like it because I did. So um, <coughs> we moved to Idaho. Sorry, I have a little bit of asthma. And when I get hot, it acts up. And um, being hot is one of the privileges of my age. <laughs> I didn't know it'd come back. <laughs> I don't think that'd come out like, quite like what I wanted it to. <laughs> so, um, so when Wendell gets out there, he, um, he gets the phone numbers of two women. And I call them before I have a lady George. I say, okay, this is the date I'm coming out. If you don't see me in a meeting within a week of this date, please come get me because I will not have sense enough to get there by myself. Because I'm home thinking. And if I'm home thinking, I am nuts, you know. <coughs> and those ladies promised me that they would do that. <coughs> So I moved to Idaho, and sure enough, they don't do it right there. Everybody's picking at me because I talk funny. They don't close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer. Their meetings are an hour and a half long, you know. I mean, it's just, everybody talks different. They got this goofy accent. And <coughs> 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 it's just way different. I'm having a hell of a time. So I'm on the phone with my sponsor, and she will not let me start a new group. She said, honey, they're doing something right out there because there's some long-term sobriety. You might want to find out what that is. So I start going to a meeting that is the lesbian meeting. I mean, it's a women's meeting, but, you know, that's what everybody called it. You know, you're going there? Well, yeah. Because I have found out if I'm okay in my own sexuality, yours don't bother me, you know. It's when I'm not that, I, that poses problems. <coughs> and um, I start going to that meeting. And I start carrying the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous to that meeting. And it goes from a lesbian meeting to a women's meeting. And I'm going to tell you that it's been some powerful stuff for me. You know, because I started sponsoring this little girl, 
and um, not this little girl. I mean, she's a woman, but she's young. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes who sponsor who? You know, she asked me to sponsor her, but by sponsoring her, I had to learn a lot of stuff. You know, where are the district meetings? Because she had never been involved in service. The group didn't even have business meetings. Didn't contri- I mean, it was a meeting, you know, where you come and talk about how you felt. You know, so a lot of times you'd want to go out there and just blow out your brains after that meeting, you know. You know, and I started calling them on that, you know, and, uh, and I'm not saying my way was right, okay. But what I am saying, that the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, because my sponsor tells me that if I can't carry problem and solution and share that at a meeting, don't just come dump the problem. Don't even talk about it, you know, until you have a solution, because solution is hope for the newcomer. And, um, you know, and that's what I talked about. What is, you know, for the newcomer, it's all based around that newcomer. How can we be an attraction for that newcomer? And uh, in that, that meeting last Monday night, when I started going there, there was four women there that regularly attend me. You know, and they're not all, I don't sponsor all of them. <laughs> you, know, I spo- I, you know, my sponsorship has changed in that meeting. Used to, I'd sponsor almost all the group, and then they started, you know, going out, and, and now I don't. You know, but it's funny just to watch to watch that grow and develop and become AA. I mean, it is amazing to me. Get this job in Idaho, right? <coughs> so about this time I'm getting to speak a little bit. So I've heard tales about what... <laughs> now that'll scare... Maybe God's trying to shut me up. How long have I talked? But I'm, I, I get this... I get this job and, you know, I have to go through a, um, an employment agency and all that kind of stuff and they want to do a background check and all this kind of stuff on me for me to apply to this job. So I go up there. I've got to confess because what if they find something that I hadn't found or that I didn't know about or is it still there? So I go and confess to this lady. You know, here's the deal. You know, I've been sober in Alcoholics Anonymous so many, you know, so long. And if you find anything that looks bad on my record, please let me know. It's not so much about that job, it's about me taking care of the wreckage of my past. You know, and if I get the job, fine, but I mean, you let me know if you find that. She didn't find nothing. See, a lot of times when I confess, I really don't have to confess. (laughs) But anyway, you know, and she was impressed with that. And um, so I go and I get this job and I go, I have to go talk to this guy because I'm I'm lined up to speak some and I need some time off. (coughs) And... uh, so I got my little list of speaking engagements, and, and I'm scared to death, you know, because I've heard the horror stories about when you tell people that you're in AA and, or that you're an alcoholic, you lose your jobs and all that kind of stuff. And I done talked to my sponsor about it, and, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, God's never taken me to worse, you know, that whole, that whole thing. So I go in there, and I mean, I, one, I'm shaking almost as bad as I was that day in front of the judge, right? Because I'm sitting there, and I hand my list over, and it's <laughs> like this. And he's going down. He said, my gosh, Sandy, he said... He, I said, well, because of this, I need some time off. He said, well, how much time off do you need? I said, well, occasionally a Friday, because these conferences go on for, well, he's looking at all the cities and states, and he said, well, what, what kind of conferences? I said, well, I do a little volunteer work for a nonprofit organization. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what organization? <laughs> so I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, God, you know, I'm going to be honest here. You take me where you want me to be. And I said, Frank, I said, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I said, I've been sober about 15 years, you know, it was. And I said, and occasionally because of the screw-ups I've made, I get to go and kind of what you probably call testify, you know, at, at conferences. And, um, and that's what this is. They're weekend events and all that kind of stuff. And he sat back in his chair, you know, and he, you know, that moment of pause, it just, my heart just goes, <laughs> you know, I know I'm hunting another job, you know, all that stuff. And he let out a sign. He said, honey, he didn't say honey. He said, Sandy, he said, we make bubbles here. He said, you go and you do with my support. And I was able to, he told me in that same city, he says, my best friend's an alcoholic. I said, Frank, I, I got some information for you. He said, and his wife's having a hard time. Because of my experience with Al-Anon, I had some information for her. You know, so I got to 12-step him in that office. And since then, he'll come by my desk. He said, Sandy, go do what you do. I go, what? He said, you know, go whatever, do what you do, such and such having a problem with drinking. So I walk over there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he expects me to lay hands on somebody or something. I don't know. <clears throat> but I have, I have that support. Now, I've worked for this man for six years, and we were in Las Vegas because we do a show in Las Vegas, and I was asked to speak there. And we all come in early, and, 
and I invited him to come here, my time. I said, now, Frank, you're going to see AA, and you're going to probably hear more about me than you ever wanted to know. I'm glad you love me anyway. You know, and, um, and he does. You know, he got to know me. He got to know a person that shows up at work in his own time, and they'll do whatever, whatever to be of service to the company because that's the service work I've learned here. You know, it don't matter what the job is. You know, your commitment to a bigger cause. <coughs> so him and his wife come and heard me speak in Las Vegas, and I'm going to tell you, you know, he's on the front row, and he's got this, this guy about two days sober, you know, no teeth, dirty, and everything, sitting beside him, and, you know, and he's kind of, <laughs> and then after I got finished sharing, he come up and he hugged, you know, and that's a gift that y'all have given me, and he started sharing with me about some of his past, you know, and we had a nice dinner, and it, and it has just made our relationship a whole lot nicer. We, we do trade shows and that kind of stuff, and there's a lot of entertaining there, a lot of drinking. And everybody that I work with knows that I'm an alcoholic. And I'm going to tell you, it, it's, to my, it's to, my, uh, to my advantage most of the time because they have always got a designated driver, no matter what city we're in. And two, if I walk in a room, there was a wine tasting thing that we had not too long ago. And I walked in and the wine bottles were like this high and there, there's like 70 of them on the, I mean, it's like big monsters, you know, and I'd never had that reaction to that liquor before. <coughs> and I, I went to him, I said, Frank, I can't stay here. He said, see you tomorrow. It wasn't a big deal, wasn't any questions, I didn't have to do any explaining. I went and had me an In-N-Out burger and went home and watched a movie and it was great. You know, but had I not had that relationship with them, who knows where that would have took me. Two more stories and I'm, and I'm done. <coughs> my mother got real sick and my mother kicked me out when I was 13 and I had not lived under her roof since. A lot of stuff. And because, since I've been sober, when I made my amends to her, she said, Honey, the one thing I want you to do is be happy. So every time on my, I call her every week without fail, she would always hear me happy. And then she got sick and it wasn't sick enough to where she had to have somebody attend to her all the time but it was enough to where she couldn't take care of her house by herself. <coughs> so I talked to my husband. I said, well, why don't you come out here and live with us? She said, Idaho? <laughs> <coughs> She'd always been wanting to get off that hill where she lived. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, try it. If it don't work out, we'll do something different. So we were both really apprehensive about that. And uh, she came out there and, to live with us in, in two years, and it was great. I mean, if I saw something she couldn't live without, I bought it for her. I mean, Wendell done all the cooking, and he babied her, and he took her, you know, just all, you know, we had an opportunity to family, and she had an opportunity to find out who I was today, you know, and, and y'all made her real proud of me, you know, because of the actions we take here. About, she would, my husband had a stroke about a year after she came, and he couldn't read or write, and so during the daytime, Mama taught him how to, back how to read and write again. You know, and that stroke has brought me a new man into my life, and I didn't even have to divorce the old one. <laughs> That's different. But, you know, one day at a time, we're, all, we're, we're getting through it. You know, the stroke has not been easy. Oh, my husband, and it, I mean, it's hard, a lot harder on him than it is on me. You know, and today, I'm still, I can, I'm married one day at a time to this guy. You know, and, and he, he's doing real well. He's back at work. There's not any paralysis. And, you know, we got a whole lot to be grateful for because he had an aneurysm. And right after his stroke, he couldn't get out. And, and the AAs brought a meeting to my house. And my mama got to sit in on that meeting. And she saw how y'all loved us. And how y'all, I mean, there was more food than you could ever stir with a stick. You know, and she got to see that. And after all y'all left, she said, honey, I've never seen anything like church. You know, and that was the example that y'all left with her. She got real sick. I was back in back at a trade show in, in Tucson, and she got real sick. And Wendell called, carried her to the hospital, and and then he called me home, and he said, yeah. and um, and I was able to sit there and hold her hand when she has breath, and, you know. And there was peace in that room. There wasn't those shittas, wouldas, and couldas, because we'd already taken care of all that because of the steps I take here. You know, there wasn't anything left unsaid. I wasn't sitting there, Mama. I wished I had her. Or I should have. wasn't any of that. You know, I was able to take care of her. And we had a good time. We laughed a lot. There wasn't any fighting or any of that kind of stuff. You know, and that is a blessing that y'all us. And my, my brothers come into town after my mama. You know, we had the funeral there. And then they got to sit in on my home group meeting, which is an open meeting night. And my oldest brother is of the agnostic variety, okay? 
But he hooked up in something in that meeting, and he don't know You know, he was so impressed with the honesty and the love that y'all showed for us, you know, and even for them. And you didn't even know who they were. You just knew that they were connected to me. And to, you know, and y'all just showed them, y'all just, you know how you do. You just grab, just grab us up in your love and just smother us. And that's what happened to him, and he don't know what happened. Because he still talks about what happened at that meeting. And to me, it was just an ordinary meeting, you know, where y'all just love us when we're having a hard time. You know, that's what happened. Last night, after just the hell of a night, <clears throat> Thursday, the old guy that I healed with the hemorrhoids that sponsored me so long, we turned out to be really, really, really good friends. He's like, you know, he told me one time he, <clears throat> he, didn't want, he wanted me sober. He didn't want in my pants. And it pissed me off. I mean, I cut. <laughs> I was new in sobriety. I didn't understand. You know, and we've had this relationship for 22 years, you know, and, and Thursday night he's been sick and, and all that kind of stuff. And Thursday night his wife called. And then I got the call after the late night. Last night, about 2.30 this morning, I got the call that he had died. So when I leave here, I'm going to Georgia and be of service there. And then I get to go on home, you know, funeral. And I get to do, I get to do his funeral, you know. What an honor. What a gift. You know, um, I called my sponsor because I didn't know what, you know, should I leave here to go there? You know, so I'm calling my sponsor. I don't know what I do, but I'm staying in place until you call me back. I'm not doing nothing because that's what y'all taught me to do, no matter what I think. So she, when I was peeing and praying, I checked my, (laughs) I checked, well, I mean, that's what I do before I speak. I pee and I pray. So I'm checking my messages in, and she said, Honey, what other place would he want you to be except in the middle of AA where people can love you through it? You know? That, I mean, because that's what he was about. You know, and uh, I got to hold it to the end of my talk. So thank y'all.